It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. And it is Carcon Carne still in quarantine. I'm James Van Ossel. And Carcon Carne is sponsored tonight by our friends at Happy to Meet You. You know, we're all staring at this very real reality that we might be spending a lot more time at home in the near future. Assuming that's the case, let me recommend stocking up your freezer and your fridge with meat from Happy to Meet You. This is Chicagoland's online butcher shop. They bring these steakhouse quality meats to your door contactless. And if you use my promo code carne as in carcon carne, C-A-R-N-E, Spanish for meat, you get free local delivery, which is awesome. And two pounds of hot Italian sausage. I had this the other night. Who doesn't love a good Italian sausage in Chicago? Delivered to your door. Happy to meet you. The website, happy to meet, M-E-A-T. Get it? It's a homophone. Happy to meet you, the letter U.com. My guest tonight, my God, uh, he is the Schlemiel and the Schlemazel of Parks and Rec, uh, arguably best known for his role as Jerry on that show, Jerry. Uh, he is Jim O'Hare, a Chicago native who's done a lot of stuff. You holding up okay during all this? I'm holding up. I, I got to tell you, I'm in Los Angeles and I'm sitting outside doing this interview. So I, it's hard to complain. Yeah, for real. Well, you know, it's weird. I've been watching the videos you've been posting outside with your dogs. Now that I've run out of things to watch, I could binge watch you and your dog. Oh, I tell you, I never used to post stuff like that, but it's like, uh, well, we're playing with the dogs today. <laughs> Let's throw up a video. Uh, yeah. And, and I do, of course, love them and they kind of rule my roost. I have two dogs and I'm the, I'm the guy who even, you know, there's dog beds everywhere. There's a million places for them, but they have realized that my big butt warms up a seat pretty fast. And so they will sit right in front of me and stare at me which is their code for me to get up because they're going to get all curled up in that warm seat. And the saddest part, James, is that I get up and let them always, always it is what it is. Here's the sad thing. You mentioned your butt and all I could think is cue, but cue, cue but, but. Cue. <laughs> exactly. I still don't know what they mean by that. I don't know. It <laughs> seems a, if I dig into it, it seems a bit hurtful, but I'm sure it isn't. Did you start out as a radio DJ? I did. Good morning, Chicago. How are you doing? Yeah, I did uh, uh, in a little town in Rensselaer, Indiana. And I, the reason I, I even got into that area was because when I went to Loyola in Chicago, I went to the Water Tower campus and they had a radio station, WLUW. Oh, right. Anybody, of course. Of course. Yeah. And anybody could do it. Like there was no, <laughs> there were no rules. They just needed somebody to fill the time. So I signed up for a shift. And I was like, damn, I, I like this. This is, this is pretty cool. So one thing led to another. And then I started taking broadcasting classes. And in my day, because I'm almost 30 now. <laughs> and so in my day back, in, and don't do the math because it, it's very confusing. Uh, apparently like votes, um, very confusing. But anyway, it's, you had to get a license. You had to be a licensed FCC license, FCC license. I went and did all that. And then I ended up in a little town in Indiana called Rensselaer and it was awesome and awful and uh, great. And the worst thing ever all combined because the good part was I learned so much, just so, so, so much. 
But this in particular radio station, I can't speak for all of them. There was a lot of craziness. There was a lot of things went, things that uh, advertisers paid for. Somehow there was no money. I mean, I, I don't know. It was all very crazy. Uh, but one day I got a, the, the secretary came in and said, somebody wants to talk to you off air when you get a chance. So I did. And he goes, uh, hi. And he, I wish I could remember his name because in a way I owe him a lot. He said, I drive through here all the time. My daughter goes to St. Joe College. He goes, I think you're pretty funny. You know, if you ever are interested in Second City, you would be so great there. Well, I truly didn't know this story. What's that? I, I truly didn't know this story. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, great. Okay. Thank you. You know, it was a compliment that he liked the show, whatever. So months and months go by and then I'm finally going to leave. And that just kind of stuck with me. So I did some research. And next thing you know, I go to Second City. And it was when they had the training classes, because uh, now it's more of a school. You know, they yeah. have all the classes and it's a whole thing. And the day when I did it, um, you went to the main stage. You got on that stage that Belushi was on and Murray and, you know, like these icons. And I can remember the second, I can even visualize it in my head. I got up there in the first first day of class and I got my first laugh and I remember thinking, Oh, this is what I like this. Oh, wow. This is something. And I, I kind of made the decision that day, of course, young and stupid, but I made the decision. This is what I will always do. Now, James, never thinking it would pay a bill, you know, never thinking I'd do it for a living, but I just thought I always have to do this. This has given me something I can feel it. And then that happened for the next couple of years, I went through the classes there. And then I ended up with a group of like-minded folk. And we started our own comedy group in Chicago called White Noise. And we did some, for the time, some pretty revolutionary stuff. Now, nowadays, you know, people can take their cell phone and make movies. I mean, you know, it's a whole different world. But in our day, we were doing things like we would do these scripted shows and our character would run off stage onto a screen where we were animated like literally a flawless, it was, it was crazy. And it got some great attention, which was cool. And then the third, fourth, fourth show we did was called Stumpy's gang. And it was this crazy, crazy theater piece where there were blood and puppets. And I ate like eight Twinkies every show. I mean, it was nuts. And it turned into a bit of a cult thing in Chicago, which was like, wow, this is wild. Like people were, I'd show up and people were lined up to see the show dressed as my character. Like it was just nuts, like little beanies on their head. And anyway, it was crazy. Now, what year is this roughly? Is this, early this is going to be around 91. I would say 91 when that happened. So, uh, you know, when you're an actor in Chicago, the, the Mecca, if that's the word is Los Angeles, you know, everybody, if you want to make a living at it, uh, cause believe me, I, I, no one loves Chicago more than me. I mean, when I landed O'Hare at Midway, that's just, that's breath for me. And um, so I had no, I didn't have a desire to leave, but I did have a desire to be a working actor, making a living at it. And in Chicago, I had a full-time job and I worked for this great company that let me come and go as I needed to for auditions, which believe me, that's such a gift for an actor in Chicago, because a lot of times that doesn't happen. Uh, But so, but I, I didn't, I just, I wanted to be an actor full-time. Uh, and so we brought that play to LA and that kind of changed everything because the same craziness that happened in Chicago with it happened in LA. So people were lining up to see us. You had to spin a big giant Twinkie to get into the show. I mean, it was lunacy, 
but it gave, it brought a lot of attention to us. And then for me, um, the, the tough part about LA, and I tell this to anybody who asks, you know, when young people like, oh, I want to go out there. It's, it's, it's not easy because if you don't have representation, you're not going to be seen. And so I was so fortunate because of that show, they were coming to me. Like they, the, you know, the, uh, agents called me, can we have a meeting? Can we, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I didn't have too much of a struggle getting representation. And then once representation started, it, 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 it that's when everything changed. And so I, I always say, I'm very proud of this since 1994, when I moved to Los Angeles, I've done nothing other than act to pay my bills. Now, let me tell you some years <laughs> they were tight, like really tight. But I've never had to waiter. I've never had to, you know, drive a vehicle for. Anyway, it, it's always paid my bills, um, and I am so, so grateful. So grateful. See, I was wondering about the, those early days with you here in Chicago because I remember those early '90s days in Chicago for music were this wildly creative, fertile. the The entire world was focused on what was coming out of Chicago, and I feel like a similar thing was happening on the theater side. I just wasn't as in touch with it. Like I was aware of the Annoyance Theater doing crazy stuff. Oh, Annoyance! There. Brilliant! Yeah, and, and I mean, people were getting plucked out of the city for SNL uh, in the early to mid '90s. So it seems sure. like, based on what you're saying, that it was all over the place. Music, arts, it was just exploding everywhere. Yeah. And, and what the great thing about Chicago and, you know, nowadays I'm praying it comes back for all of us all over the country. But in my day, so many storefront theaters in Chicago, I mean, you could work and you could learn. And for me personally, everyone's got their own thing that works for them. I learned from others. Like I could, there were certain actors who just you know, kind of blew my mind. And so I just kind of watched what they did. Some of my good friends are such good actors, like such good actors. Uh, and so I learned from them. So I would go to these little storefront theaters. I still, and I, apparently it's, I didn't know this. I found out recently during, I was doing something else and people told me that people talk about it, which I didn't know. But when I go back to Chicago, I always, I just go into the paper and find a couple of shows to see at these small little theaters. Well, apparently now, just because I've become recognizable because of parks, there's a lot of hubbub and people in the back are going, oh my God, Jim O'Hare's here, which is so, you know, uh, that's still weird for me, but whatever. Uh, but I love that. And there's so, so I always tell people, Chicago is a great training ground, like a wonderful place to learn. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, going back to the radio thing real quick. Yep. How come you, how come you're not doing your own podcast? I have been offered. Um, it's just, it hasn't happened. And one, one thing could still happen with me with certain somebody from the show parks. And uh, we don't know. Uh, it's a big commitment, especially when you do it at the level that they want us to do it. It's a whole thing. And it's a, you know, it's a, I don't know. Now, Jim, do you have anywhere else to be right now? Are you frozen? <laughs> What's that? Oh, you are frozen. Oh, you were frozen for me. Can you see me? Weird. Uh, do you have anywhere else to be right now? You could do a podcast. I'll tell you, I'll tell you I, what I, mics you need. Yeah, yeah, I know. I just, I don't know. I just want to get back to my normal world of acting. I just love it so much. I, I always say there's no one happier in the world than Jim O'Hare when he's on a set doing, you know, working scenes with other actors. Um, I love the whole feel of a set. I love the crew. I, I love the process of figuring things out, how it comes together. Um, but yeah, I mean, I also love to BS. So yeah, a podcast would be right up my alley. And everything you just said, one of the many reasons I was looking forward to chatting with you tonight, you convey a warmth. Before we started talking, I'm like, oh, please don't be a dick because my vision of you is 
You're you're a warm and, and welcoming individual. <laughs> Please don't be a dick. Please don't be a dick. <laughs> yes. Uh, here's the other thing that can make again. I love my business, but I, I've never understood, and I've seen it. You know, because I've been around a lot of years now. Uh, I've never understood it. People who don't appreciate uh, the work we get in this business, because two percent of our union, the Screen Actors Guild, SAG after works. 2% work. If you're in that 2%, you're one of the luckiest SOBs in the whole world. And so when I, and I, you know, we've all been around people and you're like, really? That's, that's how you are. You, you don't grasp that we are so damn lucky. And that's why with Parks and Rec, it's so, cause you know, I, you know, over the years you see people on talk shows, oh, we were like a family. Oh, blah, blah, blah. And of course I'm at home going, I guess start on just no family because it was pretty dysfunctional because I saw some crap. Wait, wait, which I'm, show? Sorry, you froze up. Which show were you just talking about? Oh, I didn't. I didn't name the show. I'm okay. just saying there were shows out there where people are like, "Oh, we're like a big family," and I'm thinking, "I was on your show. That was no family." See, and I can't even guess because you've been on a million different shows. I've been on a million, and I'm not going to tell you. But I will tell you the difference with Parks was the this the tone of the set that I have seen over the years is, is kind of set by the lead actor. In our case, we had Amy Poehler who Chicagoans love because she spent so many years there and Amy Poehler, you know, we all know her. She's funny and, and talented and pretty blah, blah, blah. She's also incredibly kind and caring. And she set a tone for us that in seven years, hand to God, I never heard a raised voice on that set. I never heard one actor shit on another actor. I never heard, I, I never heard it. I never saw it. Now, maybe stuff happened. I wasn't aware of, but I was there every week. So I can, I can tell you my, what I saw and I saw nothing, but everybody, it, it, it was like this love and laughter. And we still, the parks cast has this thing called the, the parks family text. And we text each other all the time. I mean, it was just this real tight bond and not just the cast, but the crew, the, my God, the, the, the crew, the hair and the makeup and the, and the camera and the sound, everybody. Um, it was just a special place. And it, that's not always the case. So when I see actors not appreciate or, you know, treat people poorly, I, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. I, I was going to ask if you ever get tired of people going right to Parks and Rec for, for questions, but it's hard. It's hard not to dive right into that stuff with you. Dude, here's the thing. If you look me up on IMDb, I have like 170 something credits. Uh, my God, how lucky am I? If all people mention to me is Parks and Rec, I take that as a badge of honor. Uh, I am so proud of that show. I love Jerry, Terry, Gary, Larry, Barry, whatever the hell you <laughs> want to call me. Uh, I love him. If the world had more Jerry's in it, I wish I was more like Jerry because I'm not in many ways, uh, other than the big penis. I'm really not a lot like Jerry, but anyway, uh, I digress. No, but um, it, that will be fine because, you know, people like, um, oh shoot, what's his name? Bob Denver. Like, you know, from Gilligan's Island, mm -hmm. he always said it kind of ruined his work after that because he was Gilligan. So there was a little fear of that initially. But since Parks, I've done all sorts of things. So sure. it, didn't, it didn't box me in. Um, so no, that's fine. If Parks is, if, if Parks is the main thing, I'm all good. And dude, you're doing noir. I mean, you're in bad times at the El Royale. 
Yeah, it's all good. I have no, I, I'm not complaining. I would, um, I think I, I, I think I, I've been recurring on a show called Bless This Mess for ABC and we got canceled this, you know, the last, I guess in May, they canceled us. And because for a while I was like, you know, seven years on a series, eh, it's, stay away from that for a little while. But I'm ready to go back because I do miss the day to day with the same people. Because like you do, sure. a, you know, bad times at El Royale. I went into Canada. I was there. Where do we shoot? That was that thing. I think Vancouver. I think Vancouver. And you go in for the two weeks and you're gone. And then that's that. Maybe you'll see some people at a premiere or this or that. I like the camaraderie of a set. Sure. I like the same people. I like the same lighting guy and the same grips and the same, you know, best boy. And uh, I don't know. So for, uh, I'd love to go back. Totally get it. And I agree with you. I like, I, I miss the people who I work with in the office every day. Yes. I mean, I've been working from home for the past nine months. I miss riffing off one another. I, I miss the ball busting, uh, the, just the creative sparks that we kind of light with each other. You can kind of do it. The ball busting that the ball busting that went on at parks was so incredible and awful and wonderful <laughs> and funny. And there were no, and uh, yes, I miss that desperately. I totally agree with that. So you got ball busted. Oh, offset. Uh, Every, well we all did. Everyone, everyone, there's things I would never repeat. It was so awful and yet hysterical and wonderful and with love. Um, you know, I always say like with Chris Pratt, you know, he's, he's become this, you know, he's a megastar. He's one of the top. He's a, super, he's a superhero now. Superstar, superhero, superstar. He's a comic genius. And yet he would like when they were doing the Jerry stuff, you know, when he, he would have to do a Jerry bit, you know, where he cut down Jerry. Sometimes he'd go, dude, I don't know about this one. I'm feeling bad about this one. I go, what are you talking about? It's comedy. <laughs> go for it. But he, you know, and Nick Offerman and Aziz, it, it was so much ball busting in like the greatest ways, just because my friends in my real world, that's all we do. Like we play poker together every, you know, couple of every month, every couple of months. Now lately we haven't obviously, but it's nothing but ball busting for four hours. And I love that. Is the greatest comedic moments in Parks and Rec the flatulent heart attack? Well, I mean, that could be argued, I guess, but I, I, I'd like to think it's up there. Um, I think one of the funniest lines is when Aziz, you know, Tom says to Jerry, were you eating farts for lunch? Because it was whatever. Um yeah, so many great moments on that show. And and even that, like, here's a perfect example. Let me tell you something about Amy Poehler. So that script comes out, and the way we did it was every Wednesday, usually, sometimes Thursday, but mostly Wednesday, of the previous week, we would do a table read. And, you know, you read it in front of the, my God, a room full of people. Uh, network is there. Production is there. It's, a, you know, lots of people. Um, and so after that, when Amy comes up to me, and she's like, are you okay with this? Like, you know, because of the whole fart attack. I go, this is so up my alley. Like, are you kidding me? Hell yeah. Uh, but I mean, she just had that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm easily definitely eight years, maybe nine years older than Amy. Actually, it is nine because she just turned 40. So she, you, yeah, just, and, and, you stated yourself. I, I don't care. Oh, damn, oh, I meant to say 30. Did I say, did I say I'm 58? Oh, terrible mistake. Terrible mistake. Uh, you know, well, you'll edit that out, right? This isn't live or anything. Yeah, we'll, we'll fix that in post. Fix that in post. 
Uh, no, but she was very motherly to all of us, like to make sure we were all good. Everybody was good. I love that. Uh, and I just, there are so many things I loved about your character. The fact that you had the hottest wife and daughters <laughs> of anyone and the aforementioned gigantic penis. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, that happened because one of the writers was next to me at the urinal. That's where he got the idea. Anyway, you find inspiration um, in the most unlikely places. Exactly. You know, in my head, Parks and Rec was just this monster success, monster TV show. But I, I think objectively, it was never a massive hit like a, like, like Friends or The Office. Yeah. I, I think this this is a textbook example of a show that just gets better with age. The, Dude, the, we, the we legacy fought- of the, Yes, we fought every year to stay in the air. Like we, it was not like the office came out of the gate and they were big. Friends came out of the gate. They were big. Modern family came out of the gate. The crazy part is we've now been lumped in with those shows as, you know, which I I say this, I, I don't take credit for it, but one of the, you know, best sitcoms ever i don't know that's what i've read i don't know uh but we fought and we fought and as a matter of fact amy told us a story after the fact because she she knew it wouldn't have been good to tell us at the time at the end of our fourth season the big wigs were coming back from new york they were on the private jet heading back to la and we were canceled they pulled us off the schedule and said we're done with parks by the time they landed we were back on the schedule so who knows what was said and done and those four hours are, well, actually from New York's five and a half hours. Um, but we went off the schedule and then we were put back on. So there was a chance we could have been gone after season four. And the thought of that, you know, so, but what's crazy is we are more popular now than when we were doing the show. Yes. It's well, wild. And I would think, especially this year, as we're all locked down, yes. binge watching, there's a certain comfort to watching Parks and Rec. Even if you're just going a la carte through the episodes or just going season by season on Peacock, yeah. uh, it, it's comfortable. It, it really yeah. is a nice retreat from all this. And what's amazing for me to hear that, because that's what I keep hearing, is that it's a comfort show for people. I, I still can't believe I'm on a show that has that effect because I have certain comfort shows that have, when I'm feeling super anxious or just super worked up, I can put them on in the background. I don't need to even watch them. They just have to come in my ear. I know all the characters. I know everything. I know all the storylines and they bring me comfort and they calm me down. And I love, I love that I'm on a show that does that for people that, that I feel like that's just a gift. And can we agree that the Patton Oswald filibuster scene is one of oh. the greatest non full-time cast member appearances in TV history in TV history. Patton is um, uh, there's a couple people and people could argue this, obviously that everyone has their own opinion. There's a couple of people I think are kind of comic geniuses. And I put Patton in that list. I put Ben Schwartz who played Jean Ralphio on the show, um, who you just watch them in their brain. Wow. They just go. And as a matter of fact, the day he did that, the whole filib- filibuster on that, I came into work just to see it. I wasn't working that day, but I had to see it. And uh, about a month before that, I was on a flight sitting, you know, just sitting there. And all of a sudden someone stands up and the guy in front of me turns around and it's Patton. I had never met him. And he's like, oh my God, my wife isn't going to believe this. Because at the time it was their favorite show. And Patton became obsessed with Parks. Like he has hosted our 
our big Q and A's in front of thousands of people. Um, but he is a genius. I, I love Patton. I just I, love him. I, I absolutely one of my favorites. I, I listen yeah. to all those stand up albums all the time. Uh, when he was doing the filibuster, were people laughing on set? We were all behind camera and lose just, we couldn't believe it kept going. It could blame me. That was not written. Right. That was not written. That was Patton. That was, there was, you know, uh, they, a few people as the show went on, there were, and same again with Ben Schwartz and Jean Ralphio. In the script, it would just say, Jean Ralphio goes off. And that means Ben, do whatever the hell you want, Ben Schwartz. And same with Patton. So it was, I just remember standing in, in Video Village, like, he's still going. <laughs> he's still going. And I'm not into that world of, you know, the side Star Wars, Marvel, X-Men, right. but yeah. everybody was like, and he's nailing it. Like, this is all legit stuff. He's not just rambling. This is legit stuff. He's saying, yeah, you're hoping Disney's taking notes as he's doing that. Because it's... <laughs> yeah, <really. laughs> What I think is so interesting. You read for Ron Swanson. I did. How amazing is it? How good is the casting of this show? You and Nick Offerman both ended up in the perfect roles. It, it like it worked out in the end. Yeah. Ultimately, Nick was always in their mind for Ron, which you know, when you, when you, can you imagine, and believe me, I have so many talented friends who could do a lot of things, but Nick Offerman was meant to play Ron Swanson. I mean, it's just how it is. And in my, uh, when I got the call to go in, you know, it was the big talk. And then the, at the time it was called the, what was it? Non uh, Amy Poehler project, uh, untitled Amy Poehler project, something like that. And it became kind of like the hot thing because the word was out. The network said, you're going to make six of them. It's not even just a pilot. There's going to be six episodes. So when I went in, it was Mike Shore and Greg Daniels who co-created Parks. Greg did The Office, the American version. He created that and Mike wrote on that. Uh, and so I just wanted to do a good job so that road they'd give me a guest spot you know or or something like that down the line and so I went in and I did my version of Ron Swanson and uh you know we had a good conversation I left the room thinking yeah I made I I represented myself well and I did what I wanted to do and then they called two weeks later and say would Jim be interested in coming back for this other role and so that turns out to be Jerry so I go for that and you know I get into the waiting room and oh another ton of people. There's big guys, little guys. I'm like, Oh, they still don't know what they're looking for. So I go in the room, I do my Jerry audition. And what I found out later was, uh, Greg had said to Mike, he's funny, put him at a desk. It'll work out. So that's (laughs) kind of how it played out. And because we had a great conversation after the audition, because I knew Steve Carell, from Chicago. So we had that where we could, you know, BS about that. And I think, I think one of the last voiceover gigs I did in Chicago was with Steve. It was, I keep thinking Miller beer, but I could be wrong about that. But um, so we had something to chat about and yeah, apparently that's what Greg said to Mike. And then though, when my agent called to offer me the job, I I, I go, what role? Like, (laughs) you know, I auditioned for two anyway. So then it turned out to be Jerry. And at the time, my agent said, and I'm not knocking them because they were coming from a good place, but they said, we don't know if you're going to want to do this because they're being very upfront with us and they have six lead characters. So at the time it was Ron Swanson, Leslie Nope, uh, Ann Perkins, uh, Tom uh, Haverford, April Ludgate, 
and who was the six? Oh, uh, uh, Paul Schneider, who played uh, Mark Brandanowitz. And so we don't know where Jim's going to, we don't know what's going to happen, but we want to put him at a desk. But, you know, we also don't want him to, there's like, Jim, you might feel like you're being just an extra. And there's nothing wrong with being an extra, but at that point in my career, I've yeah. worked a lot and I wouldn't do extra work like that anymore. And so one thing, I, I it just for me, it was a no brainer. These are the guys who created Kevin from the office, right. and Phyllis and Angela and uh, Oscar. And, uh, and so for me, it was a no brainer. And plus they were paying me good money. It was certainly wasn't extra money. I was like, let's see what happens. And then apparently when I s solidified my job was after we shot the six of them, they needed to uh, shoot a couple of bumpers and nobody was around other than me and Amy. And they called and said, would Jim come do some improv with Amy? We're going to bring in some kids and have them do like a nature hike. And so I went out there and did it. And apparently the producers all said, oh yeah, he can hang. Yeah. Oh, that's he, awesome. he, he's doing his thing with her and it's, it's good. So yeah, that's, and then by the next season, they, they made me a series regular. Uh, according to the way interviews work, I have to mention the fact that you're an Emmy winner. Yes. I always forget that, but yes, I am. <laughs> you always forget it. It's, it's, not, it's not prominent when you walk out of your bedroom in the morning. It's not sitting somewhere. And so let me tell you, I, when I got it, it was, could not have been the, the biggest surprise of one of the biggest surprises of my life. Number one. And then when I did it, it just sat in my office. And then I left for three months to do a, uh, a theater piece in Kansas city. I came back and my friends had had this thing built with a glass case. And now it's sitting in a glass. So now when people come in, it looks like so obnoxious, like, oh, boy, well, he thinks he's the best. Look at that Emmy. I didn't even do it, but it is lovely. And I, I love that I have it. It's like the, the sword in the stone. It's like Excalibur is sitting there waiting to be plucked it really, out. It really is. And, and again, I. I, that whole thing, I, I, st I wasn't even going to go. I wasn't even going to go to the presentation because it all just didn't seem like anyway. And now this is for the bold and the beautiful. Well, yeah, I had done um, uh, two, one of them before that, but the bold and the beautiful wanted to, they did like the stunt casting kind of thing. And they brought in me and Monica Haran, who was on everybody loves Raymond. She played Brad Garrett's wife. Mm -hmm. And they, so they had us be these crazy characters who were on a plane. And I really feel the reason I won in my opinion is um, all the other people who were up for it, you know, it was crying and all this emotional, like really um, daytime drama stuff. Yeah. And then there's me doing whatever did I was doing funny, I guess, whatever. And I just think people were like, Oh, this is different. And so it was, um, Oh God, King, Larry King, him and, uh, Oh, the girl from one of the original ET girls. Oh, I can't think of her name. Mary I, Hart. I think it was Mary Hart uh, and the two of them are up there and they start showing the different, you know, clips that people submitted to be, you know, and that, that, that got nominated with. And I'm like, Oh, there's your winner. And believe me, I'm all ready to do the quick because the camera's standing right next to you. <laughs> and so I'm ready to do the, you know, that kind of thing. Of course. And then they're showing this one. I'm like, Oh, Tony Gary. I'm like, Oh, damn. Oh, hey, oh, not Tony. Oh, no, I'm saying his name wrong. The guy who did the Saw films. Um, oh, I can't think of his name. But anyway, he was up for it. And then anyway, so I'm like, oh, that person's so good. And then the next one, oh, well, there's your winner. And oh, there's your winner. Then they show my clip. I'm like, Ugh, whatever. <laughs> then, and then all of a sudden, Larry opens the envelope. And the winner is Jim O'Hare. And 
this is a fact. I, I, you can see it when you watch the clip. At the moment he said my name, I thought, oh, my God, that's so familiar. <laughs> I swear to you, James. And then the girl next to me from the show is like hitting me. And then it dawns on me, holy shit, I won it. And now all I'm thinking is, you idiot, you've planned nothing. You've planned nothing because this was not in the realm of possibility. So I'm walking myself up there. <laughs> like, what am I going to do? Uh, it was awful. So what I did do was, and apparently I made some friends in the soap world because I truly feel this. I, I set the, I set the, uh, I set the award down and I did one of these. And I said, this is for all of you soap opera actors, because, you know, they get, they don't get the same credit that nighttime primetime actors get, but I'll tell you, they work hard. Sure. They work so hard. I even said, I go, you guys, uh, you know, I'm used to shooting six pages a day, seven pages a day. You guys are doing 60. Like I've never seen anything like it. So I am amazed by what they do. So yeah, that was a crazy, that was a crazy night that was unexpected. And yeah, but it's lovely. It's nice when they, be, you know, you begin, I think the first time I, I did Seth Meyers after I won it. And he said, they introduced me as an Emmy award winner, Jim O'Hare. I'm like, Oh damn, that does sound good. And I mean, you had soap opera experience. I mean, you did strip mall. I did strip mall. And, it, and let me tell you that show was so silly and I laughed for 20 episodes nonstop. It was ridiculous and funny and stupid uh, with wonderful people. And this is in the day. And it's so funny because what I'm about to say, some people will be like, well, that is a lot of money. And I'm not knocking that it isn't, but it's all relative. So this was in the year 2000. So the first, it's my first series. I get this series and it's going to be 10 episodes for Comedy Central. So they're going to give me $2,000 an episode. Now, I realize $2,000 a week is a lot of money. I'm not saying it isn't. But in the world of television right. and primetime, that is not. It's just not the same. So the second season we get picked up and I get a 50% raise. So now I'm at $3,000 a week. And believe me, at the time, I'm thinking I'm the king of the castle here. Yeah, this is it. I made it. This, done. This, we're done. You know, um, But yeah, it, there's a huge difference between you know, the year 2000 in cable. And then of course, when parks comes along, those are different paychecks. So I, I guess the question is, there's not a lot going on in the world. What do, what do you have going on? Like, are you, how are you spending your days these days? Well, I was fortunate. I did a pilot um, during lockdown. They, I was supposed to shoot it in uh, Denver. They rewrote and my character ended up to be always on FaceTime. So cameras were sent here. And Perfect. they were on this Zoom thing, just like when we did the Parks episode, the Pandemic Parks episode, same thing. Send all the cameras. They And believe me, I'm so, so bad with all of this that you can't believe. But they were very specific. They talked me through it. We figured it out. So I did the pilot. And then in the last three months, I've done two films all from my house. They sh I shot the scenes at my house where they send you the equipment. And then uh, Peacock TV recently took over the streaming for parks. Right. So we've all been doing things for them. So again, they send all the equipment here and I shot some stuff for them. That's awesome. I, I kind of like the fact that you're not promoting anything. We could just bullshit for a half an hour. I really appreciate the chance to talk about 
parks and pick your brain about stuff. Happy to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you're awesome. And, you know, you're a Chicago treasure, even though you left us long ago. Oh. We still we still call you one of ours. It's because I am one of yours because it's where my heart is. There's no it's it's so weird. I always say if, if, if everything here in L.A. could just have been in Chicago, like it would have been the perfect thing. And the, the thing about Chicago actors, they're so damn good. They're so damn good. I'm so happy that there's all those Chicago shows that are being produced there now. Yeah. But I say that. But I also get a little pissed because most of the Chicago actors are getting the, the day player, the, the one and done guest star. Chicago, you know, if you have a major guest star of the week, use a Chicago guy, girl, yeah. whatever, whoever, someone from Chicago. Instead, they fly him in. Like even for me, there's been, you know, a few things with those, with that world. And I'm like, yeah, of course I would love to do it. But isn't there someone in Chicago who could nail this? So, but whatever. Whatever. No one's asking my opinion. So the, the final question, the most important one as it pertains to Chicago, are you a, a tavern pizza guy or a deep dish guy? Like your party cut pizza or the deep dish? Okay. James, I'm going to try to explain something. I don't know what this camera is showing, <laughs> but this, I, I do it all. I do it all. My friend, I love a good tavern pizza. I, uh, every month I get Lou Malnati's sent to the house uh, the two frozen ones comes in a pack of two. And then on Gold Belly, which is the site, you can get um, uh, tavern pizzas. I do it all. I do not. I am. I do it all, my friend. Jim O'Hare, you keep it real. Oh, I keep it real. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I want to thank everyone who's been watching on Facebook Live and on YouTube. I'm going to stop the video stuff. Thank you for watching. That's Jim O'Hare. <laughs>